0: Welcome to GM Mastermind, a tabletop RPG podcast that features a panel of game masters known as The Brain Trust. In this episode, we'll be discussing session prep. Introducing The Brain Trust for the episode. Welcome Jim Ingram to the show. Jim has been a game master for 25 years. He's well-versed in running swords and wizardry, old-school essentials, and roll for shoes. Currently, he's enjoyed Dungeon Crawl Classics, Forbidden Lands, and Warlock. He shares his unique art and crowdsourced stocking of a dungeon on the BS Landia Discord, where he sits as moderator. Welcome Phil Vecchione to the Brain Trust. Phil's got 40 years behind the Game Master screen. The RPGs he's run the most include his very own Hydro Hackers, Dungeon Crawl Classics, Forbidden Lands, and Turning Point. A couple of his current favorites include Cortex Prime and Night's Black Agents. He's the co-host of Misdirected Mark podcast, contributor to Gnome Stew, and instrumental member of RPG publisher Encoded Designs. Lastly, he's also the author of Never Unprepared, the Complete Game Master's Guide to Session Prep. And I'm Sean. I've been game mastering for on and off since I was a kid. Currently, I'm enjoying Delta Green and Forbidden Lands. Now, on to the show. Phil, Jim, thanks for joining me. We're going to talk about session prep today. How are you doing? Excellent. I am doing all right. Thank you. All right. Great, great, great. So, session prep, always uh, an interesting topic. A lot of different... I think if if you ask 100 different game masters... How they prep a role-playing game, you'll get 100 different answers. Would you agree, Phil? I would.
1: I would. And I think that's totally fine, right? Like I think there's um, – the thing I always say about prep is like the purpose of your prep is to make you comfortable running the game. So whatever, whatever it is for you that makes you comfortable when you, when you get behind the screen, it's perfect.
0: I think with session prep, there's um, there if if we were to talk about it in the context of the show being you know about game masters and trying to hone their craft, what there's probably better ways to do it. And better is obviously unique to the game master. Better could be quicker. Better could be maybe more prep. Uh, believe it or not, I don't know if everybody would agree. Like more prep is better because it's time consuming, but. It is also very situational, and I think we'll get into some of those details as we talk about session prep overall. So, some of the points that I want to want to kind of hit is um, some methods of doing session prep, what kind of thinking goes on in somebody's head and then trying to, to get that down, what they may want to consider for different scenarios, like we mentioned even prior to hitting record, and then – maybe some different techniques and tools maybe uh, to include some games that may also um, set up prep of maybe a little bit differently than some of the traditional um, games that we're maybe most familiar with. Right. Cause I know I have to say, I know Phil's gaming um, the amount of games that Phil has played has been pretty extensive, probably more than me. And I know he's got, um, a different perspective on some of those games that I probably haven't even played, like gm list games and things of that nature um so having said that, why don't we start with um the 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 benefits of prepping uh a game, and what is the ideal um way i guess approach or what what you find we'll start with Jim and how he preps a game and why he does it the way he does is that will that work for you jim oh sure
2: yeah um so starting with why prep and i think uh phil kind of already already hit on this uh the point is to be comfortable and confident when you're running the game so like your prep should be oriented towards that goal being able to basically put on a performance and manage the table and all of those things that are going on, having the system entry, like all of those things that you have to be juggling while you're doing it, being able to do that confidently and, you know, being comfortable with it. So I kind of think of prep in, I'll say two phases um, that, you know, if you are doing just like a one shot of something, they might be combined. But if you're getting ready for like a longer campaign, there's the sort of the initial prep where you're getting ready for a new game, which is really uh, akin to like studying, learning of any sort. You are developing a mental model of how the adventure is supposed to work, what all the different components are, how they interact with each other. You know, that can be like the different factions and locations that are involved, all of those things. And just having that model in your head, so that later on, when you are at the table, you can reason about how things interact as you're going and not have to memorize a plan up front because no matter no matter how elaborate of a plan you have that you have memorized, the players are going to throw something at you that you haven't considered so there's that that phase of developing that mental model, and then there's you know prepping. Right before the session or the day of where it's really just pulling that back into active memory and getting focused on what you need to get done during this session and getting into that, that mind space where you can, where you can be the GM that you want to be, I guess.
0: Is it, it's a similar, uh, analogy where, you know, no plan, um, withstands, survives, yeah, contact with the enemy. Or, yeah, exactly. or in this case, the players <laughs> um, <laughs> Phil, what what type of things go through your mind when you're talking about when you when you start to prep? Yeah, so just thinking about
1: this because I've got uh, two games that I need to prep, and I'm actually running behind on them for this
0: week. Um, so as we're recording. Yeah, Phil is like, okay, Jim's talking. I can do some. Prep. Yeah, I just, I just knock out a few <laughs> notes here and there. Yeah, no, I have, uh, I have a nice black agents
1: um session coming up, and I have a Cortex Prime game called Long Live the Queen, um and they're very different, so they, they require kind of two different styles of, of prep. So the thing I, I'm, I start really at a high level of like, what is this session going to be about? Right, like what like what do the players accomplish at the end of this session? Uh like for Knights Black Agents, like which piece of the conspiracy are we revealing um in this mission? Now, whether we get through the mission in one session or four, or whatever, it doesn't matter. But for the prep purpose, what piece am I giving you know, like what piece are they gonna earn in this? And then from that, like I have to build out like a story and, and like and like Jim said, I need a um I need a mental model of what's going on. Um, and I actually write that out first. That is actually the first thing I do before I prep. Is I I write to myself this, and I borrowed this heavily. I borrowed this directly from the Fear the Boot guys, who you know were doing this before we were doing this. Um, and they call it the "What's Going On" document. And I write myself every one of my adventures has a page hidden off to the side that's called "What's Really Going On." And I just write, like, this is what the opposition is doing, and this is what would happen if no one intervenes, and this is why, and all of that stuff. And that will somehow get pulled into what I prep. But what it gives me is it gives me the complete story. And then, depending on the game I'm playing, that's going to depend on how things get presented, right? So for Night Knights Black, Black Agents, I have to look at that document and then say, okay, how are these clues, right? Like, how do I turn these things into discoverable clues? But if I'm playing Forbidden Lands, then it's, What, what is my adventure sites? Where is like, where are the encounters that I'm going to pull from this? Um, And if I'm doing, you know, like a DCC, I've actually never done my own DCC dungeon. I actually just like running their stuff. I've, I'm, I'm hard pressed. Like every time I look, I'm like, their stuff's so good. I'll just run their stuff. But anyway, if I was doing a dungeon, like that would be the next thing is like, how do I translate that story into rooms, traps, and encounters, right? That's yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, so that so so the game you play and the way you like to run games is gonna like heavily influence how you prep, like how you go from mental model to what you need to get onto
0: a page. Now you you met you were kind of alluding to it where it's like, well, Dungeon Crawl Classics, I usually just run their dungeon, but so going into published adventures doesn't do. I mean. I know I, I prep prepped, them. yeah, right, mm-hmm. with a highlighter. Like I, you write I, in your I, books, I, like, Phil? No, 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 the oh. PDFs. Oh. No, no, no. <laughs> Just, <Yeah>. Oh Lord!
1: <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not one of those people. I don't, I don't write in my books or anything. Like I'm not a sneeze act. It's like you know. Anyway, no, no. I um, like I get I get the PDFs and then I put them into a PDF reader that I have that allows you know to, to highlight. And so for DCC, you know, I got to highlight. Um, things like what, where's the monster stats, where's the description for the room. And then more importantly, I have one, like, what are all the weird things that are going to happen in this room that I have to make sure I hit like during like the play of, you know, the play of this encounter. Because their stuff, and I love their stuff, but like they like their rooms always have like if you're like doing the full dungeon, their rooms always have interesting things going on, and you just don't want to forget them. So you just got to like remember like oh, if they touch the gem, their eyes pop out of their head. That's an actual real uh, DCC adventure. That's um, I forget which one that is, but it's great. Anyway. So yeah, prepping a prepping a published adventure, I still do work. Um, I usually keep it in the document just through highlighting, but I've done it at times where I've had like a side document where I've written stuff down. But most days I just break out the highlighter and, you know, get marking.
2: Yeah. I, I do that too, actually, um, when I'm prepping a dungeon adventure, which is really kind of my, my wheelhouse. I do a lot of uh, more location-based adventures than than uh, say plot based or, or mystery adventures. Um, so I'll do that same sort of thing where I will go through and highlight the important parts, like, okay, here are the encounters that can happen. Here are traps, here's something special about this room. I'll also um, try to get a feel for uh, if there is a goal and it's not just like, oh, we're going to the dungeon to to loot it, um, What are what are the obstacles that they are going to encounter you know, they, they can take a few different paths, but they're probably going to go through a couple of different choke points that are between them and whatever their goal is and having an idea of where those are and how I want to handle it. And, you know, I'm not going to plan out like, you know, there's, you know, maybe examples of three different ways they will tackle this uh, obstacle. But of course, they're going to come up with the fourth one that's not listed. <laughs> right. So, you know, you have right. to be able to, uh, you know, Think okay, well, they handled this guard post by bribing the guards, and that wasn't in the book at all. So, what does that mean later on when they get into the camp? Are, are, are the guards going to come be reinforcements, or you know? So, you have to be able to uh, have that sort of model in your head so you can play with it. I would say there, the only time I wouldn't prep for a published adventure is if it's a like. 70s style funhouse dungeon where there's just no rhyme or reason to anything like I would just run that plane but like most adventures and uh, hot take good adventures will have some sort of logical structure that you can wrap your head around like the author had some sort of mental model of how things should work and when you're prepping you're trying to rebuild that or something close enough to what they had in mind just based on what they provided in the uh, in the module itself
0: you guys sound like you probably spend the entire week prepping one four-hour session
2: uh i mean if it's a four-hour <laughs> session it's probably a fairly small relatively uncomplicated dungeon fair so uh, what, not that's too much time but if it's like a bigger module I'll start doing this like weeks in advance and I'm not like spending hours and hours at a time doing it, but I'll, I'll read through it several times, start taking a few notes. Um, but the payoff for that is it only takes, you know, 20 or 30 minutes prior to the session, like the day of to get that back in your head and be able to go. So you're not pouring over all of the, all of the details the day of.
0: Yeah. Phil, I imagine you don't spend... 40 hours of your week prepping for a four-hour session.
1: No, but I – so, yes and no, right? (laughs) So, you know, depending on your definition of prep. Um, So, I run on Sundays. My games are always on Sundays. This is the thing I learned from having kids is that nothing happens on a Sunday evening. It's the perfect time to game. Like, little kids go to bed early. Nobody – like – no softball or anything happens on on Sundays. So Sunday night became my default night for gaming. So on a Monday morning, I start thinking about what I'm going to what that game's going to be. And I might not type anything because all my notes are typed into Microsoft OneNote. I might not type anything till Wednesday or Thursday. But I have spent Monday on the drive to work thinking about it. I've, you know, spent some time like while cooking dinner, you know, coming up with, you know, ideas of what's going to go on, that kind of thing. Maybe did a little research. And then there'll be a couple hours where I will sit and do some typing. Not all at once. I'm like the little engine that could. I do like an hour, an evening, and that's it kind of thing. And my, you know, my groups, I, I am... I probably do not run groups fast enough paced. So one of these weeks worth of prep can usually get me two to three sessions out of it. And my sessions are about three hours. We don't, we're like old guys now. So we can't like, can't play, can't play that late. Plus it's Sunday night, right? So you can't be out all night. Playing so, um, so I'm getting like about nine hours worth of material out of a week's worth of process. Now, depending on the game, depends on how much uh, I've got to write. Like Knights Black Agents is pretty labor intensive. Like that that requires some pretty extensive work because you have to do a lot of work about keeping clues in order and sites where clues are going to be found and which skills are going to be applicable to finding clues. But if I'm running something like forbidden lands, there's a whole chunk of that game. I don't have to prep because travels all random tables. You know, I just need like, here's the adventure site and some cool things that are going on. I'm going to quick roll up a town right? Stick it on my map somewhere. And then maybe in the course of the three hours, they'll reach the town or maybe all hell will break loose, you know, six hexes into the travel and that'll be the game for the night. So my, like my prep for that game is much less um, in terms of like Knights Black age. Knights Black Agents is my most probably labor intensive. And I also have to then do research on European cities. Which amounts yes. to me watching um, Rick Steve's uh, Rick Steve's videos about uh, various European cities, so that I can get some idea of what the city looks like in some interesting areas. And and I'll just say really quick for Night's Black Agents, the other thing I do is I actually do um, like we play our game with Google Earth running on a, on like a TV. So all of my sites have to be scouted on Google Earth. So, you know, if there's going to be a pharmaceutical company um, in Switzerland, I got to go find a building in Zurich and market like this building so that I can pull it up during the session, they can look at it and then ask questions about it and that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. The. From what I'm hearing, and you did mention that as the and even earlier on as we kicked off, depending on the scenario that you're running in the game, like the plot-driven, the heavy plot, intricate uh, plots, the the um, mysteries, things of that nature, hugely intensive organization-based, you know, tr- exploration. Eh, you know, maybe some random tables, knowing which ones. And, frankly, with Forbidden Lands, it's funny. You and I talked about that, Phil, once on a video, you know, on another channel. It's – and Jim's run some, some exploration-type adventures, too, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's the – if you plot too much – or plot. If you plan too much in those, the chances are the group could literally go in a complete opposite mm-hmm. direction. Yeah. So what do you do now you've prepped and now the party's like, okay, well we were thinking about going Northwest or North, but you know, now that we've given it some thought, we want to go South. (coughs) Jim, do you want to to jump in first?
2: (laughs) Uh, I mean, I'll admit I've not actually run a hex crawl, which I think is where you're more prone to that. So I have the advantage of, it's a dungeon. They're not going to dig new tunnels. Fair, right? Right. <laughs> so, um, although I wouldn't put it past them, I mean they can try. Their <laughs> can wandering try. monster checks exist for a reason. It's true. Um, they can spend as much time as they do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So I, I guess the way I would do it. So this is this gets into my like two phase thing where I'm I'm like you know loading all of the the mental model and then. Prepping for the session, like when we get started, I one of the things I do just prior to a session is I will go over my notes for the last couple of sessions. I have a like a time tracker sheet that I that has basically a log, um, a very bare bones log of the things that they did. And that's enough to, you know, get things back into active memory for me. I can remember where we left off and what the structure of the dungeon is around that area. So then then I can be like, okay, from here where they are right now, where we left off, they can go do these things or this other thing over here. And ideally, I would also uh, get them to tell me what their goal is for next time uh, so that I can have some expectation. And I mean, they could be filthy liars and that's fine, but at least gives me a starting point to be like, oh, okay, they they want it to go investigate this thing that they heard about uh, that's deeper into the dungeon. And that's that's where I'm going to spend my prep effort because that's what they told me.
1: That's I do the exact same thing. I end every one of my sessions. Um, the last thing I do is I say, okay, for next session, what are you guys doing? And then the Monday when I'm getting ready to prep, I go on Slack because I have a Slack you know group for each of my, and I'll be like, last time you told me, this is what you guys wanted to do. Are we still like, is this where you guys still want to, you know, go, is this what you want to do? And after that, like, if I have to wing it because they changed their mind, like, you know, having dinner on Sunday, then I just tell them straight up, like, look, I prepped for one thing. We can do the other thing, but we're only going to go so far before I'm going to, you know, run either run out of material Or I'm just going to start making some stuff up. Now, if it's like Forbidden Lands, I'm like, cool, we're just like, we're going to have a few extra encounters, right? Like, I'm just going to push a few things in its way. If it's something like Knights Black Agents and they completely pick a different direction, uh, there's only so much I'm going to do before I don't feel comfortable giving out clues because, you know, I'm uncertain of where, you know, like if I'm going to make a continuity error or something like that. So I try to keep those like... I, I do that same thing. I set, like, we set expectations. What are we doing next time we meet? And then I just confirm real quick, like, are you guys still on the page, you know, this page? Good? All right, I'm starting to prep.
0: Yeah, that's
1: so, a huge one. Go ahead,
0: Jim.
2: Oh, uh, so you said a thing that was interesting there. Like, uh, if they go kind of, like, off script on Forbidden Lands, you said, okay, we're going to have a few more encounters. It's that, like, you have, a like, a backstock of, like, here are some encounters that I can just throw at them that, you know, I have, like, a pile of cards with, like... Okay, they're going to run into uh, I don't know, some goblins that come and steal all of their food and run away into a cave, like things that's, of that. That's nature. how the
1: encounter table that's how the encounter section of, of that game is. Like right. each encounter is like a paragraph and they range from a couple monsters attack you to some really weird stuff. Like I don't know, Sean, in your running of it, have you have, have you encountered the insulting um orc yet? <laughs>
0: Yes, I have. I've I've thrown that in front of the group, and yeah, that's fantastic, man.
1: That orc made it twice. He showed up in two, (laughs) twice, and then the players were like, "That's it." Like,
2: (laughs) yeah. I'm kind of thinking if you're doing that sort of free roaming adventure, just having Mm -hmm. if, if the game supports it and has that that stock of like random. Encounters to roll up—that's great. But if you have if you have a stock of them that you have at the ready that you can just grab onto when things go start going off the rails, that that's probably saves you uh, a lot of prep time and also um, a lot of stress during the game. I think if you have that resource to draw from,
1: I wonder if anybody on Drive Through has made a, a Forbidden Lands product that's just more encounter tables. Because I to me. I played that game for like a year and a half and I was like, boy, I, somebody could make a killing just making like another book of these encounters. Cause I would totally, I would buy all of them.
0: Yeah. And I would just have all of them. I'd like to do one myself, honestly, but I would probably need some crowdsourcing cause my brain can be lacking the creative space sure. for an entire book. But, and we've got a lot of creatives, you know, in the community, but I agree, Phil and, and what Phil's referring to for those that haven't, um, Played Forbidden Lands. It, when we talk about random encounters, there's random encounter tables like BX. And, you know, you roll on a table and there's X amount of mo- – you know, it's what's the environment? Oh, roll on that table. They're in a the desert. Roll on the desert table. You know, it's, you know, a, a D10 or whatever. Oh, it's a nine. Two ant kegs. Okay, come out from under the ground. It's not those types. It's, it's a little bit more richer. He mentioned there's like a couple paragraphs. So – the insult orc, you know, there's a description and there's a purpose of why he's there and what the characters see, but it's not so in depth where it's like, oh, I have to read this entire eight half by 11 yeah, page no. of, you know, 10 point font text to understand what's really going to be going on here. And so, but with those encounters, I mean, it can take half a session like two hours three hours to go through like what what do the players do well they sit there and talk to them and negotiate for two hours and then you know if you're the game master and things aren't moving along you throw something else into the same encounter that comes along um and before you know it they never get to your prep because they went in a different direction yeah but you kept them busy for a full session yeah, and then I don't have to prep the next time, right? They still have this <laughs> stuff left, which is a good point when we talk about session prep. Where I think, you know, we may say, "Oh, great! I just spent hours coming up with all these things, and they went in a different direction. Now I got to go ahead and can all this stuff." But you don't.
1: Well, I mean, chop it up into pieces and get ready to use it somewhere else, right?
0: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Have you guys- no prep? Go no ahead. prep goes to waste, right? That's- yeah, and that should be a mantra. Like,
2: right? No GM prep goes yeah. to waste. I spent time on this, by God, I'm going to find a way to use it someday. <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> One way or another, this is coming. This game or the next game, you're, this encounter's
0: coming around. Yeah. Um, now, have you guys? Now, seriously, I know we talk about prep, and there's there's quite a, there can be labor to this stuff. So people are mm-hmm. crunched for time. It's the big adulting piece of life. You guys ever just literally get three – like um, Iron GM. Have you guys ever heard of Iron GM? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Phil's nodding. Jim, not sure. So uh, for a long time, Roan Barton um, was behind that. I don't know if he still is. But they would hold it at certain game stores, honestly, that they would just kind of commission it or what have you. And it's where the – you, you know, it's like it would be a qualifier. And then eventually, if you won at the game store, you could go to Gen Con or you could volunteer to be an Iron GM candidate at Gen Con. So it's a big hoop de do. They put on a big, you know, soiree, if you will. And the whole point of it is, is they give you three, I think, three concepts, right, Phil? Three mm-hmm. kind of phrases or terms. And you have to incorporate those into a, a session. Right then, right there, but it's system agnostic, uh, the whole thing. So the point of the Iron GM is, one, at the table, determine what system you're going to run. So you have to, you know, hey, everybody, is everybody familiar with this? We want to do Pathfinder, 5E, you know, Forbidden Lands. And then they have to take those three concepts that are given to them and incorporate those into a session. And that's all they have. And I think they get 30 minutes
1: yeah, you get like a little, you just get a little time to prep, yeah. and then you got to run the rest of it. Yeah, but but see, you cheat by picking like fifteenth level pathfinder because there's only going to be one encounter.
0: Oh. <laughs> like, <laughs> Phil's breaking it. Phil's broken. Just giving away the secret. Broken Iron GM, though he has not competed. No, I'm just telling you, fifteenth level pathfinder,
1: one encounter, four hours. You'll be great. You just put one like just. I don't know, a couple of, you know, a couple of dragons, this, put all the elements in it, you're done, walk out, claim your trophy. Don't, I, you know, I'm kidding. Friend, no, of, I've, friend I've, of the I've, show,
0: I've, Eric Frankhouse, has been a two, two, at least a two-time Iron GM winner, so.
1: Yeah, it's impressive. I And I mean, in the past, I used to, I, I could never imagine doing that. Um, I was never, like, for the longest time, I was not a ad-lib GM, Like I was very much, I was very much like systematic heavy prep GM. And then I learned, like, I, I, I just went and played a bunch of those like indie style, you know, mostly, um, you know, like PBTA and stuff like that, where you don't do a ton of prep, you play mostly just, you know, through the game. So, yeah, I mean, you know, if you got to make up something like that on the fly, that's I think where you fall back to, like, you fall back to classic frameworks, And, and the way I usually prep my stuff is by, um, I will ask a series of questions to myself, right. And then we will play to find out the answers to that. Like, for example, um, players start in a, um, players start in a prison and need to escape the city by airship. Cool. How do they get out of the jail? How do they get across town? How do they sneak onto the airship? Right. There's like, those are the three questions I need to answer. Um, And we just answer that through play, right? That's like that framework right there, just asking the like writing those handful of questions down and then starting to pose that to the players. Like, okay, look, guys are in prison. Clearly in order to get, uh, you know, out of the city, you're going to have to break out of here. What do you guys got in mind? And then just start, you know, start taking ideas and applying rules to them and making roles and that kind of thing can be done. I don't do it often. I really, I like my prep, <laughs> but I do. I like, I, I do like my prep. Like I, li- cause I'm looking for a particular type of experience. I like to, I like to tell a particular, like I like to tell a story at the table. So I need prep that has um, consistency. It has continuity and those kinds of things. And so I need to put some, you know, effort into that. But if we're playing like, you know, I'm fine doing it. Like if we want to play like a kind of a freewheeling lighter, um, like not so heavy, serious story kind of game. Yeah. Let's get a, you know, let's get a fun system to kick around and, you know, let's make a quick adventure out of it.
2: Yeah. I was thinking the, um, like that whole setup for uh, iron GM just sounds extremely stressful to me because (laughs) I probably have like, I average about one good idea per fortnight. I do not come up with things just off the top of my head, but, um, I think the thing that helped me a b- loosen up a bit and be a little bit better about improving is doing some more um, procedurally generated things. And uh, one of the things I have in mind, and particular for that, is um, Gardens of yin And I know there's also like the the Stygian Library. They're both by Emmy Allen. Uh, and the way that works is like each place that the the PCs go to, you you roll for. Uh, location details an event that happens uh maybe an encounter and so like you're coming up with like these different combinations of like oh here's a here's a uh a gazebo with dead explorers or you know woods with singing like and there's like a little paragraph for each one of them that fills that in and like your job as you're running it is to take these two different ingredients and you know, sell that location as a, as a real place to the players. Like you didn't just roll it on a table, yeah. uh, and, and having a little bit of practice with that. And the other system I can think of offhand that does something like that is, uh, Rangers of the Midden Vale is also, you know, you're, you're generating these things on the fly as you are at the table and just getting a bit of practice doing that through, uh, you know, something, something like one of those adventures that gives you a little more meat for those things. And you're not having to come up with so much of the material yourself. You're just combining what, what the ingredients are. It's kind of like, um, you know, working from frozen ingredients instead of fresh or, you know, um, it's a little bit easier than, than having to make everything from scratch. Yeah. The gardens of yin
0: is good. Have you, have you looked at that, Phil? Are you familiar with that? I haven't. Uh, We're going to, I will turn it on to you. We'll, we'll put links, to, in everything that we're referring to um, in the notes and everything, but the gardens of Yin is an interesting one where where it's like uh, where the premise is uh, spoilers if anybody's going to run it, but I've taken inspiration from it. It's essentially a a you find something a door in a garden essentially is the premise, and that door has something written on it, and that des- that what it has written on it is like the destination. And so when you walk through it, it's kind of interplanar, but you you go, and it, the way it works is you go into it and then you encounter something, and then you can either go back the way you came or you go further down. It, you actually, mm-hmm. they say you start at the top of an 8.5 by 11 page is where your starting point is. Yeah. And as you traverse these doors you you map that out so they can go left and right and but they can go down kind of aka down um and and everything what jim mentioned is is kind of a random role but a little more it's not as rich as i think a single encounter in forbidden lands but it does mm-hmm. give you the text setup and some of the environment pieces that literally you could just run that and, and you would be just fine and you could have yeah. minimal prep yeah Oh, that sounds and,
2: cool. And the other clever thing about it I'll just mention is um, you add uh, how deep you are into the gardens to your yes. rolls. Yes. And the higher numbers on the tables, it gets weirder and weirder and, like, reality yeah. starts it's breaking very out. Gygaxian, it's, it's fantastic. Right? Like, uh, yeah. It's good. Yeah. It, it's yeah. so good.
0: It really was. Uh, is, I should say. So we'll have links down below for that. Um, Over-prepping. Pre- if you prep so much – Some people will think, you know, oh, it's Phil's story. Phil wants to tell a story. So, therefore, he's going to prep the story that Phil wants to tell. Not necessarily what comes out of play. Wrong, right? Hot take? So,
1: somewhat of a hot take, I think.
0: Okay. I will. So, I will. It is meant
1: to be hello, right? No, no, it's good. Yeah. It's good. Right? I I will take your bait. Thank you. Um, So, here's the thing. When we talk about, so when we talk about telling Phil's story, that's really uh, where we get into like railroading and agency issues, right? Where where I'm now pushing a story where no matter what choices you make in-game, right, they're all filtering towards the story that I want. That you've, prepped, not... that you've prepped, Phil. Sure, but I could have just actually not prepped it and done the exact same thing. Right? I could have just not prepped it, had an idea in my head while we were playing and steered everyone into it. Touche. So, so that is an agency issue. Now, if I prep a lot of material and it doesn't hit the table, right? It's not really a problem unless it's taking me too long to prep everything to feel comfortable to play, right? So if I need eight pages of prep and it takes me, like, it, I stress out during the week to get it done and we only use, like, four pages of prep and play, that's not a good balance, right? Because I'm stressing myself out. I get it done. We get to the table, but we're not using nearly as much as I like I actually need. And that gets into um, that gets into the idea of like, how do we pare down our prep? How do we streamline? Like which pieces, which pieces are we comfortable making up at the table and which pieces do we need to keep in the prep so that we can kind of shrink that. And then I'll just tack on to the last thing. And this is actually, I learned this from dogs in the vineyard by Vincent Baker. And it has been how I prep everything since then. I only create problems, not solutions. Right. So anything I put into a game is just a problem with no solution. The players will, the players will come up with solutions and will apply the rules to see if that is doable, not doable, successful, whatever. Um, so that's one of the ways I kind of, and that is from, if I look like 15 years ago, that is one of the ways I cut my prep down a lot was to stop worrying about what is the optimal solution to this encounter, right? Toss it out the window. Who cares? The players will figure out the solution to the encounter. My job is just, let's make a cool problem. Preach.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, I think that's an evolution yeah. of a game master. I I've yeah. got that relatively recently because I ran a lot of published stuff. So read it. Okay. They kind of got to go this way at some point. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm railroading them. It's maybe linear or it's curse to which is somewhat of a confined box, but not necessarily like, well, they have to go here. Otherwise they can't go there. Although in a, in a linear module like that, one could argue, well, if they get too far down the road, then they're going to encounter, balance issues with crs that are too high because they didn't go to the first five encounters but um letting go i think is a huge thing and the problem solution i think is was an epiphany for me like just Hmm. put it in front of them jim and i know jim has like i I don't know if we've talked about it or you've written in about that jim would um I think it might have been Gabe too. He was like, Yes, finally, Sean, you just put the problem in front of them, let them figure it out. That's the deal, right?
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, I mean, I've compared it to like you're, you're Willy Wonka. Like you're just providing all the opportunities for the players to screw themselves. Like you are not (laughs) coming up with solutions. You are giving them a world of pure imagination and they can deal with the consequences of it. Um, The, The other thing, I've I've kind of been nodding along here because uh, I think there is um, a a mindset, and I I guess maybe it's indicative of of newer GMs where they tend to think of the adventure as a player would and are trying to consider all of the solutions and everything. And
0: For sure. And 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 not even new GMs, man. It's
2: kind of a uh, radical idea, like... What if they do this? What if they do that? Like, oh, I don't have to care how they're going to solve this. That's their problem. Mm -hmm. I just have to present the challenge.
1: So I'm running this game in Cortex Prime right now um, that's called Ox. And the premise of the game, because it's, you know, Cortex is a game. You got to, like, make up your own game, right, using Cortex Prime. So the the elevator pitch for this game is that you are – super geniuses traveling around in a spaceship solving, um, problems for planets. Right. So it's like Scorpion. Remember that TV show, Scorpions, it's like Scorpions meets Star Trek kind of thing. And so one of the things I had to kind of work on with the players, cause they would keep asking me like, you know, can we, you know, like, can we divert the fire cane from hitting the city? And I'm like, you got to stop asking, can the answer is always Yes. I just need to hear how as a super genius you plan on doing it so that we can then engage the rules you know, for it. So they're like, Oh, so if we want to like, you know, create like a uh, an explosion, you know, that creates a vacuum that pulls the fire cane toward. I'm like, yeah, yes. Let's like, cool. Let's, let's make some rolls now. Let's see what happens here. Um And it's really freeing because in that game you literally just create problems and just let them loose with like, they come up with all sorts of wild ideas for how, like what they want to do. And then I built like a little framework, like, There are five steps to solving a problem. We're going to make two of them require roles. And you just have to pick. Um, You pick one and the GM gets to pick one. But the idea is really freeing. Like, it's not, can we do this? It's like, of course you can do it. I just like, we're just going to find out
0: through a role what happens when you do. I think science fiction games have a knock. They get a knock on that because they, Star Trek, right? Can we do that? I don't know. Is it, you know, it's, it's, I don't know because I'm not Spock, so I'm not sure. And I know medieval fantasy because, well, I can either do it through magic if I have the spell or- Which is just science. Right, well, <laughs> true, yes. yes but I th- it's a weird thing. Like, I've always been reluctant to run a Star Trek because some of those, um, or you, you, a heist sometimes, and Shadowrun Buddy Mine runs them great because he doesn't, I don't know how much he preps. I think he just says, here's kind of the deal. He thinks probably of what the security looks like, mm-hmm. probably doesn't tackle it until the person says, I want to know what the security looks like by doing this. And then it's given. And then they they kind of react to it. Um, I don't know. And they, and there are
1: games that do that better than others, right? So like sure. the um, the leverage role-playing game, mm. Is like perfect for heist and requires not a lot of GM prep. Um, because the game's designed for the fact that you are gonna do like all the leverage tropes, the flashbacks and and all of you know all of those things. Um I my hat's off to anyone who you know runs a heist in Shadow Run or Shadow Run, period. That i have I've I've run
0: Shadow Run before. Games heavy. Heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Um I was gonna say from some of the the community that they mentioned, um, Mirko specifically, he's been on the show before. And so I put it out to the discord and got some feedback on, on some of the things I thought we would want to hit. And if, you know, what their thoughts were Um, he mentioned for campaigns, which I think is a whole nother ball game, like campaign prep. There's elements of session prep, obviously, but then there's the the hundred foot view, but he mentions, he creates a dedicated section with pages and sub-pages for locations, NPCs, adventure ideas, and various other notes, and then fills out uh, some of this beforehand, but often just makes small incremental additions as the campaign unfolds, Mm -hmm. probably because things are going to change, maybe. Mm -hmm. Uh, For one-shots, he says, I create a single page that includes bullet points to start off the game, including the starting situation, any necessary background of the system and setting, safety tools, uh, so nothing falls through the cracks as well as monster stats, including a place to track H- HP right there, if not using a VTT, etc., cetera, which is – so we think of prep like, oh, it's going to happen in this session. But then there's, well, I probably should look over – Phil, you mentioned this in Never Unprepared. Hey, you're going to cross a river. What if they fall in? What's the swimming and drowning rules? So that's part of the prep, right, that we probably want to throw in just to kind of like, oh, I should probably note that or put the sticky note. In the book, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think CJ mentioned I don't want to run a short. I don't want to run short, but I don't want to want so much that we can get, can't get to a reasonable conclusion in one session. So he says, perhaps one short session of material, then another one with drop in material with stats. He obsesses it about store about the story until the game, then he forgets to use a third of it. And then he goes with the flow. (laughs) And I'm I'm sure it works out great though, right? Like that's the, I mean,
1: that's the cool part about, um, the cool part is no one's reading your prep, right? So when you change it, when you drift from it, um, no one knows, like what happens at the table is the actual, like, that's where the magic happens, right? And so sometimes, you know, sometimes I look at my notes and we're right on track, right where we're supposed to be, kind of things. And other times I look and I'm like, oh yeah, we're not even doing that encounter, like that. Like I'll just, you know, nope, like we're just we we're skip that, and I'll write myself a note during the game, like yeah, didn't do that. Move these clues, like you know, move these clues to a later encounter so that they can pick them back up somewhere else, kind of thing.
2: I uh. I think sometimes my players think that I've planned everything down to which roles they're going to fail. Uh, Just, you know, like I'm pulling like (laughs) the puppet strings and really I'm just listening to what they're saying and making a snap decision or having them roll a die and just, okay, well, because of that, this happens. And there's, there's rarely ever a plan up front when I'm, I'm GMing. I sometimes joke. I'm a, I'm kind of allergic to plot as a GM. Like I, I provide circumstances and I will have an idea of what are the things that happened leading up to the PCs coming on the scene? You know, what, what do all the other uh, actors, the the factions, the NPCs care about? But like, after that, it's just, I'm reacting.
0: Yeah. So what kind of tools do you guys use for session prep? What are some, and some that are, and how they changed phil so
1: i I, so i you know i think back in i don't know somewhere in the 90s i was very much like i wrote all my stuff out on paper right had binders all of that stuff um i think i went through a period of time where i did everything in word right Mm -hmm. i had like a word template and i did all my stuff in word um but then, like, I think it like it must be like it must have been when it first came out. I jumped early onto OneNote and I have never left OneNote. Like, I think I mentioned it in Never Unprepared that I use OneNote. I have never stopped using OneNote. All of my campaigns are in, like all my sessions, campaigns and everything are notebooks in OneNote.
0: I think you said Ever- I think you said Evernote in, in Oh, Never Unprepared. Sure. So
1: I went from Evernote to OneNote. Right. So I was never, I was an Evernote guy for years. <laughs> I then migrated all my stuff out of Evernote into OneNote. So I have OneNote now. And the reason I like it is because um, I run most of my games off of an iPad. And so I can sit at my desk and do all my prep in OneNote with a keyboard and, you know, two monitors and all that stuff. And then it all just syncs up. And I go to the game and I just take out my iPad and put it on a little stand. And scroll through it, you know, with one finger while we're playing and can read everything. So I have, it's like the best of both worlds. I have the comfort of sitting at my desk in my chair with a keyboard because I'm, I'm way better at typing than I am writing. Right. So two hands on the keyboard, full throttle typing. And then I don't have to have a laptop or all that at the table. I just plunk down my iPad. It's great for con games just show up i take out my ipad put it in my little like i I got this little foldable stand and and we're playing and that is has been um i mean i'll uh, look this thing works everywhere right so i have one note on my work machine my home machine wherever i am if i can like knock out a few notes of prep i just open up one note start typing let it sync close it back up i'm gonna get you i'm gonna get you a notion phil you know, I've been lo- I've I've been looking at Notion. I've been looking. I don't know if Notion will work. Notion will work for me for a lot of things. I don't know if it's going to work for um for GMing because the thing I really like about OneNote is I can just stick like I have like one main sure. um like frame of text, but then I do that thing like you were talking about before, like with like you know what are the swimming like what are the swimming and armor rules, so I just cut that out of the PDF and paste it next to the encounter as a sidebar? You can do that in Notion, so, Phil. Can you? All right, so see, like we should talk Notion sometime. The only dra- see,
0: the only drawback is not offline. If you got oh. it's you got to hook it up. It's a web app. I don't app. know.
1: Most times I'm I mean, I, there's so rare there's rarely a place where I'm not online anymore. Like I don't sure. but I do like that I can go offline yeah. with with OneNote. But yeah, OneNote's like that's uh that's my jam. Like <laughs> I am I am like a staunch OneNote fan. Uh, for prep, for like the longest time.
2: Jim, what do you use? Uh, I mean, I've tried a few different tools. I've tried OneNote. I've used Notion a little bit. Um, and I should say, and, like, and pencil
0: paper is just perfect tools, right? Like, we don't have to get into the digital space either.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I, I do almost everything pen and paper. Um, like, right up until in-person gaming stopped being an option for a while, I, I was pretty adamant about, I, I don't want to have a laptop, I, I don't have a tablet, I don't want to have devices in front of me. So I am binder module printed out, notes written in the module, maybe loose leaf paper so I can update the key on that. Um, I, you know, sometimes I will make my own forms and things like that that will match the way I run things so that there's minimal friction um because like if time tracking or taking session notes is a pain i won't do it so i take steps to make a tool that will make it easy for me to do so that i do it because there are benefits to doing it like mm-hmm. you know being able to say you know okay you have spent three hours here you've gone through most of your lamp oil uh, your spell wore off And also I have a written log of all the places that you've been and the things that you've done, and I can make use of that in the future when I'm prepping for the next session, like making it as easy as possible to keep those records. Uh, for me, that means having a nicely formatted sheet of paper that I can quickly jot things down on.
1: So my, um, session notes are on index cards. So I, you know, I keep a little stack of index cards. You guys, right. But so
0: I laugh, I laugh because I have something as a follow up to this, Phil. Go ahead.
1: So I, so I just take my notes on index cards through the session. But then what I do is at the end of the session, I take out my phone and I use Microsoft lens and I scan all of the index cards back into OneNote. So, and then I just put them in. Like I have, you know, the page for the session. I just put them in as a sub page. So for the same reason, when I go to sit and like prep the next session, I can actually pull up my handwritten notes from the session and like quick read through them and be like, okay, these things happened. Often the last card is what are we doing next session? So I got to like grab that info, that kind of thing. But I like that way, even my paper stuff goes back to my digital, my digital vault.
2: Yeah. So for me, it's like front of the paper is time tracking and log and all of that. Back of the sheet of paper, I will have who were who the PCs that were involved in this, maybe some bullet points of the things I intended to introduce uh, in the session, whether I got to them or not. Uh, and and notes just on the back. And then after the session, that just goes in a pocket in the back of the binder. And then I have a stack of, well, here's everything we've done in this campaign so far. That's and I cool. can go back and see, like, there's dates on everything so I can know when we did all of the stuff, to so Phil,
0: you'll appreciate this feeling good, Lou. yeah, so the most he says so the mo- Jim laughs. So the most important prep he does for each game is an index card cheat sheet for each character. In a narrative style game, he lists important facts about each character's backstory, relationships, and the goals. In a skill-based game, he'll list the character's best skills and/or abilities, and then, of course, there are the indefinite amalgamations of the two. He says, and then instrumental are his note note cards, a notebook, and the rule book source book. And so he puts on some music, and then he kind of jams out and and preps and writes all that down. But he also has he had a some pictures um of of all of his index cards and, index cards yeah uh, love it yeah
2: that guy's a better gm than me yeah <laughs> he says the flow,
0: the flow chart he mentions um a flow chart component which it, he takes from so he mentions the flow chart coinciding with a, an image that he provided but he it was taken from index card rpg hmm. phil have you delved into index card RPG. I, I have seen it.
1: I have not purchased it. Phil like,
0: index cards, Phil. Yes. Index card index RPG. I would have thought it, like, saw yes, I will have to send you a copy, sir.
1: I will. I will definitely take a look. It is. um No, it's definitely in my wheelhouse, right? It's yeah. Index cards.
0: Yeah. So he says the location and clue cards are inspired by the lazy DMS guides, right? By mm-hmm. Sly flourish. Um, yep and he also uses a form of aspects like fates in scenes that players can uh can be involved in manipulation and things of that nature so which so i think i use notion uh quite a bit depending on what the, the game is and then uh i also model it some again depending on the game and it's also some modeled off of um sly flourishes lazy dungeon master prep kind of template so if you haven't checked that out um mike has done a a great job in getting that product out where it's very and mike is very much you know it's lazy dungeon master so it's very oriented towards you know fantasy D D based games um with different um npcs places and what he's going to tackle and he does a Great stream every – I'll give him a prop. I tried to get him on the show, and he wasn't available. But um, every Sunday he streams and typically goes right through his template for his campaign. He walks through how he preps for it every week.
2: And where were all of these resources when I got started? Because in oh. the 90s, these things just – If they existed, they were hard to find. I don't remember going into like B Dalton bookstore and finding any of anything like this. Like, if you're lucky, there's a a a good article in that month's Dragon magazine. Like, that
1: was it, man. Dragon was the. dragon was dragon was it there was no internet well and you go back 10 years before that in the 80s there was no internet like you only knew like the like other guys who were running a game that was like the sum total of the knowledge like you had about running games yeah it was we were bad like in 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 comparative terms it was fun but um yeah, I mean I, you know, I think somewhere I even still like my parents' house, I think I still have a box of like my TMNT session notes. And um I mean they're hilariously bad, right? They're just in retrospect. And the digital ones like I can see the evolution of my prep over time, right? Like I can see like where I trimmed stuff and where I built tools cuz I very much did a thing where I um had a word template where it was like a 60/30 um, you know, uh, 60-30 split so that the notes for the session were in the 60 side and in the 30% side was room for me to take notes during the session so that my notes were like right with the, like the the notes in the session were right next to that stuff, you know, and then I like broke those apart. I mean, there's been, I like messing around with it. Every few years I get, like every few years I'll be like, I don't know. What could I do different? Like, what could I mess with? You know, like I haven't done it in a little while. COVID kind of put a, like a halt on innovation for a little bit. Like I was just happy to keep my games running online during that part. So, you know, now I'm in a space where innovation sounds like fun again.
2: I definitely advocate, you know, DIY make tools that make sense to you and that help you reach whatever your goals are in -hmm. in running a game so yeah like for me like the time trackers that i keep bringing up um is one of those um and and i have others it's just if you if you find a a thing that you could make easier you can try finding something that solves it for you or you can just make something and a lot of times making something is probably easier and faster
1: Yeah, doesn't take much like to get, you know, it doesn't take much to make something with like a few columns or, you know, solve a problem kind of thing, Mm -hmm. or even a quick search on the internet to find somebody who got like 70% there. And you're like, cool inspiration. I'm just going to do these couple of things. Yeah, David Allen, the productivity um, uh, expert, the guy who wrote uh, Getting Things Done, talks about um, you will never... You'll never stick to a productivity system if you're not excited about the tools that you use. And the same thing for GMing. If you are not excited, if you do not like the program that you are using to like prep your stuff or, you know, the notebook or whatever, you're just going to, it's another layer of mental resistance. If you like those tools, you will be more apt to, to go in and like, and start the work.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, someone else's solution might not solve your particular problem. Right.
1: Right. Right. Go to JetPens. Go to JetPens.com and see how much money you could drop on, on high, you know, like on high end stationery. Like that's I I don't know if you've ever been there. If you like pens or stationery, JetPens.com
0: is uh, is like a dreamland. <laughs> I was going to say with this is going backwards, but with with Notion, Phil, and I think one note you can do this as well. The appeal I have with Notion is that you can create a relational database
1: yeah that's actually a thing when I looked at Notion I was like oh this would handle like NPC stuff really well plots like, locations and
0: NPCs yeah, so if you go to yeah. an NPC and the players are like la, la 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 and they know something and you list a location and you tag that appropriately and you're like uh you just click it and then it flips to the location so where I was talking about in one episode of Gaming NBS you know time and time ago is because the approach to some adventures are very linear, but that how they're executed do- aren't necessarily linear. And so you have, all right, let me rephrase that. The books are written linear. Mm-hmm. Sure. But the adventure isn't, doesn't occur oftentimes in that linear. Oh, it's very easy to turn to page two. Oh, and the characters are now page three, and then now they're on page four. It just doesn't happen like that. So.
1: My forbidden lands game we had a um, Google spreadsheet with all the NPCs cuz we had racked up so many NPCs like in in like a year and a half that we'd roll into a town and I'd have to be like uh you know like going through the whole thing like having a relational database of being able to be like oh click town name here's all the you know major NPCs you know yeah, that's pretty sweet you're going to you're going to wind up making me a notion guy that's going to happen that's going to
0: happen at some point i would show you the way sir and then you could take what you don't you know, like or take what you like and then leave what you don't. You it'll be this Phil Vecchio Notion prep template.
1: Uh, you know, oh yeah, see I could do that. Yeah. Like that's a yeah, that's a thing.
0: Well, so we're wrapping up. We're right around the end of the hour, and I wanna wrap up with I wanna you guys to come up with like one to two points of advice. If you go to three, it's okay. That you would give somebody um about prep, like tips or tips advice that you would give somebody that's kind of maybe s- prep is kind of a drag or it's too long or too short. What would you say? We'll start off with you, Phil. All right. So I think
1: my first tip is in order to shorten your prep, figure out which things you are good at doing on the fly, because you don't have to write those things down. If you're really cool at, at describing rooms or you're really good at you know making NPC dialogue on the fly, don't write NPC dialogue down, cut that out of your prep. Just once you get rid of that, just focus on the things that you actually are the the parts you struggle on and that will help you, um, not only hone your prep, uh, you'll trust your prep more because you're, you'll be going to your prep for the things that you need to lean on and it'll be there. So that one, the one that we talked about, um, before about prep, you know, prep till you're comfortable, um, you know, and, and honestly, like, don't like, and I guess my last one is, um it'll sound funny, but don't compare prep. Like, <laughs> I used to, I used to be intimidated by people all the time who were like, I wrote this whole adventure right here on this index card and I'm going to run it tonight. And I was like, I can't do that. And it was fine. You know what? It didn't matter. I couldn't do it. I mean, I, I wanted to learn, so I learned it, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if your prep's 20 pages or 10 pages. If everybody's having fun at the table, you're doing your job. Take it, Jim.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, that's all really good advice. Uh, I'd say the other thing is, um, the more you practice thinking on your feet, the more confident and comfortable you'll feel doing it. Um, so, you know, your prep should probably be done with that as your goal, not memorizing a plan or, or thinking through everything ahead of time, just being able to get comfortable making those decisions on the fly. The other thing I would say is, Don't spend too much time, and that's going to be subjective to you how much is too much time on the day of. And for me, right before the session, I'm not looking through my notes. I'm walking around and trying to get into the right headspace where I can be on and be a performer because I'm not a naturally outgoing person. And if I'm going to be the center of attention for at least the beginning and substantial sections of this uh, of this time we're spending together, like getting ready for that is also part of prep. And notes aren't going to help with that. So whatever you need to do to be relaxed and loose and comfortable speaking and being a center of attention, do that right before you start right before you start playing
0: yeah it's huge advice that sometimes the soft start is what i refer to it like get the they show up at the house or they show up online a little early you know seven forty-five, seven thirty, 7 30 and then eight o'clock we're going to start the first half hour is just banter getting things off people's chest from the job or whatever and then you can kick it off and everybody's ready to go because all the chatters yeah. may be done right
2: yeah, then you put on your GM voice and all the heads swivel and point at you and you've got to be ready for it. Yeah,
0: everybody ready to play. Yeah, okay, great. Roll for initiative. <laughs> what? <laughs> nothing gets people's more attention more than those words, right? Right. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's it for this episode of GM Mastermind. I want to thank guests Phil and Jim for joining me. Great stuff. Uh, we'll have links where you can find both Jim and Phil and some of the things that they're doing uh, go and check them out and remember be a positive force in the tabletop RPG hobby this episode of GM Mastermind produced with help from the following members of the mind Joe Swick Zagrave Merkel Froilich Tony Sugarloaf Baker Polish Ogre Larry Hollis Hoos Carl Harrigan Farty McButterpants Laramie Wall Aaron Relia Wayne Peacock Ron Bishop Ghost GM, old school DM, Craig Shipman, Larry Hout, John Mahoney, Yorkis Rex, Eric Salzweidle, Phil McClory, Jason Hobbs, Michael O'Holland, Remy Billado, Crystal Eggsted, Eric Avila, Feeling Good Lewis, Eric Jeppesen, Vornak, and Brian Kurtz. Thanks, everyone. I really appreciate it. Since we're just starting out, I'm just gonna ask a, for a little favor. If you could just go out onto Twitter or some social media or Discord and let them know that we are producing this, that would be greatly appreciated. Have them head over to GM Mastermind and tell them to subscribe. Thanks.